Welcome everyone. We're on chapter six, class 91. Um, topic is meditation reveals self in one and all. And we're going to cover ver verse 31 to 33 if we get time. So as I was saying um, last week, this particular portion is not so easy to under understand because we don't know what this fourth state is, the state of self-realization. We don't know what it is. We've never experienced it. So the only way we can understand this is from the accounts of these great sages, these gurus, these teachings, these books written by great Mahatma who have reached that state. And they're telling us their experience. As I mentioned before, the Upanishad is the accounts of different self-realized souls explaining what that state is like. So the whole book just explains, it just tells you about that state. And all these Mahatmas from different eras have reached that state and, and they're explaining what that state is. So they're all explaining the same state, but in different ways based on their personality. So maybe after the Gita, we'll take up some verses of the Upanishads. So we can only learn from that knowledge. Beyond the deep sleep, the dream state and the waking state is the fourth state of consciousness called Turiya, which means fourth. So don't worry too much if we don't get a grasp of these few verses. We'll get the general idea what we're talking about and that is a man a woman of perfection that's what he's talking about a man and woman or woman of perfection so whatever bit of that you can apply to your life to improve that's what matters is that okay everyone so this is how you need to approach this this section what can I gain from this? What can I learn from it? What can I apply? I may not understand everything, but... And also we mentioned last week that in life, everyone sees the world differently. Everyone sees the world as a projection of themselves. No two people see the world the same. Your husband sees the world differently. You see the world differently. The children see the world differently. And that's a very important thing to understand. And there's a um, story in the um, Mahabharata. Tro uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, Dronacharya was the teacher yeah, of Arjuna, the Pandavas, and Duryodhan, and all his brothers. 
or of us. Pranacharya called uh, Duryodhana over. Now remember, Duryodhana was a wicked fellow, bad person. He said, Duryodhana, I have a job, but it's not for you. I need you to go around and find me a person that is of good nature, someone decent, a good fellow. I have a special job for him. Says Guruji, of course, I will go and look. He went round the whole city, the whole town, neighboring towns, and he came back. And he said, you know, I can't find a single good person. Everyone is wicked in this, in this uh, city. Not a single good person. Said, I see. So he called Yudhishthira, the elder Pandava. Who was a good person? Says, Yudhishthira, go and find me a bad person. I have a wicked job. You can't do it. It's not in your nature. I need someone really wicked. He went around everywhere in the city, neighboring cities. And he came back and said, I can't find a single wicked person. Everybody's good. So this is how we project our lives. Everyone projects their lives in this way. If you are good, you only see goodness in everyone. Everyone in this world. If you are bad, you only see bad in everyone. Everyone is bad in the world. And if you are both, you see good and evil in the world. So remember that. And if you see the self in you, what do you see? Anita, what do you see? It depends on the self in everyone else. Oh, sorry. You see the self in everyone. So what you are is what you project in the world. Yeah? Any questions? So if someone doesn't agree with you, Remember, he may see the world differently. So, last week we covered verse 29 and 30. I know some of you missed it, so quick recap. Verse 29, it said, United to the self by yoga, he sees the self in all beings and all beings in the self. He sees the same everywhere. So now you have followed all that has been prescribed by the Lord. You reach that state of self-realization. You have merged and become one with the self. So what is the nature, the conduct of a self-realized person? This person sees the self in all beings, as we just mentioned. He understands that the reality is that everyone is made up of the self. And he sees that. He doesn't see good. He doesn't see wicked. He sees the self in everyone. The understanding, the body, mind, and intellect are mere vestures for the self. It's just an enclosure. Atman has no life. Self has no life. The body, mind, intellect has no life. But when Atman connect, contacts the body, mind, intellect, there is an expression of life, which is all of us. So we as a human being are made up of the spirit, Atman, and the body, mind, intellect. 
This is us, a human being. And in life, we have the choice as to what we concentrate on, he said. Whatever we concentrate on, we become that. You identify with your physical body, your physical personality, then you become the body. Identify with everyone at the body level. If you identify with the mind, you become an emotional person. You identify with everyone at the emotional level, good and bad. And if you identify with the intellect, you become an intellectual person. How clever is this person? Let me see. Everyone is based. You identify with everyone at the intellectual level. And if you identify with the self, you only see the self, Atman, Brahman in every living being. You meet a bad person, a terrorist, or the Pope, you only see the self that enlivens them. This can only happen if you understand the truths of life. This world is nothing but the expression of the self. Therefore, you only see the self everywhere. The world is just Nama Rupa, name and form, meaning it's the self. God, but you see something different. So this God is everywhere. This world is God. But due to our ignorance, we're not able to identify with that. Yeah? Good. Any questions on that? And then verse 30 we covered. He who sees me everywhere and sees all in me, I am not lost to him nor is he lost to me. Everything you experience in life is the self, Atman, God, we said. And the Lord confirms that once you reach this state of self-realization, this understanding, you never lose it. There's no going back. It's a permanent state. Whatever a self-realized person does in his life, he never forgets who he really is. I'm not this body, mind, intellect, I'm the self. He has realized his true personality, his true nature. Become the perfect human being. This is what we all need to strive to become. So those are the last two verses we covered. Is there any clarifications? Okay. Yeah, so... So you can say we have a relative understanding of us being part of body, mind, intellect and Atman and the knowledge that we have of Atman, Brahman is a relative knowledge mm. that's in the world. So although we can say that we are not in the fourth state, in the waking world, can we say we have a relative understanding about it or we can't it's either you become or you don't and that's it so um, when you are in sleeping you're either sleeping or you're awake there's no in between yeah mm -hmm. similarly you're here in the waking state there is no I'm in a waking state and you know I'm also self-realized. It's either one or the other, even though you're still in the world. 
So it's not a state that you can be halfway there or anything like that. It's a permanent, either you're awake or you're sleeping. But I understand what you're saying. We are learning the knowledge of that state. Yeah, we're learning the knowledge of the state. So we have some understanding that there is something beyond this waking world. Until this classes, you had no idea there was anything beyond this waking world, correct? But now you have some understanding, actually there is something beyond this. I'm learning about it. I'm applying it, the knowledge to my life. It's improving my life. To that respect, you're, you're, you understand that. And that's it. And the understanding comes and goes while you're living your life. It's not permanent. That's the difference. Does everyone understand? It's not a permanent understanding. While this class is on, you remember, class is over, that's it. You forget until next week. <laughs> so it's a temporary understanding, you see? And that's the difference. When you completely understand it, you transform as a person, which is what we're explaining in these verses. Is that okay? Is there any clarification to that? Does everyone, does that make sense to everyone? So you're already quite high up spiritually because at least you know, you have the knowledge, you're applying some of it and you know, this is my goal. You may believe this is my goal. Other people are so ignorant, they don't even understand that. So why should I be good? When I die, I die. What difference does it make how I behave? When I die, I'm dead. Might as well enjoy my life to the fullest. It's an attitude, which is, we're not saying they're wrong. But based on the understanding, this is where they are. So you have all come a long way already because you have some knowledge and you're learning it. All of us. Any clarifications? No, Ben, good. Yeah, okay. So let's do verse 31. Serva Buddha Stitam Yomam Bajat Yekat Vamastitaha Serva Tavarta Manopi Sayogi Mai Vartate Serva Buddha Stitam Yomam Bajat Yekat Vamastitaha Sarvata Vartamanopi Sayogi Mai Vartate He who established in oneness worships me abiding in all beings that yogi dwells in me whatever be his mode of living. He who established in oneness worships me, abiding in all beings. That yogi dwells in me, whatever be his mode of living. Can you, Venita, uh, first paragraph, please? A yogi united with the Supreme Self remains established in the homogeneous of oneness of all beings. He sees the Supreme Self abiding in all. He adores and worships all beings as the self. 
he conducts himself with other beings as if they were himself. He sees his own image in others, like a person in a hall of mirrors who identifies all the images as himself. The enlightened ones see a perfect oneness between himself and the multifold beings of the world. Such is the vision and conduct of a perfect yogi. Thank you. So this verse is saying that once a person is self-realized, he is one with me. He worships me in all beings. I mean, there's a oneness. There's no difference now between himself and God, himself, Brahman. That yogi dwells in me. He is in me. I am in him. There's oneness. Thereafter, it doesn't matter how he lives his life. It doesn't matter what he does in life after reaching that state. What kind of things would he do? Any idea? It doesn't matter what he does, how he lives, let's say. What can a person of this nature, this state, what kind of what kind of things would he live? How would he live? Any idea? No? A happy life. A happy life. Not yeah. Affected. He's not affected. Absolutely. I'm just discussing what kind of life may he live. I mean, we, we read about sages and gurus and just something to ponder. Well, how would he how would he live his life afterwards? Ramna Maharishi, he was at an ashram. He just didn't say a word. That's how he lived. For whatever reason. How would they live? They may spread the knowledge. Saying doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't make any difference once you reach that state. You've all heard of Swami Vivekananda, young fellow. He got married well, he, when he got self-realized. He was very young, self-realized person. You read about him. He smoked cigarettes and cigars. After self-realization, does it matter? Some might say he's a spiritual person and he smokes. <laughs> What difference does it make? Tandresh, that doesn't mean you start smoking. Yeah, if he smoke and he self-realize, I am qualified to smoke. No. You can once you reach that status. Then you have the freedom to smoke. See, we're not in a position to understand what that status is. We in our little minds, not of the world. What can we understand? What that person, what state that person is in. So how can we understand what, how that person behaves? We have no idea. In those days, 1863 to 1902, they didn't know the health risk associated with smoking. Everyone is probably smoking then. But we now might say, oh, how can you be smoking? You can't be self-realized. Lord Krishna had so many his wives, so had so many wives. Dharmesh, how many you got? Just one, I hope. Does that mean we all get many wives as well? Hey, Krishna could do it, so I should do it, be able to do it. Doesn't work like that. 
We can just about handle one, huh, Dimash? Krishna had so many. So we're not in a position to comment. Self-realized person feels a oneness with all beings, therefore admires, treats every being like he treats himself. He says, example, hall of mirrors. You see the reflection, you know, in the old uh, Maharaja palaces, you go there. They've got a room with mirrors everywhere, ceiling, floor, everywhere, because they, once they're dressed, they want to see how they look from all angles. So imagine the person going in a hall of mirrors. He knows every, every reflection is his. Similarly, a self-realized person sees every being as a reflection of himself. He loves everyone. Any example of such a person throughout history that you can think of? Yeah. Gandhi. Gandhi. Did he love everyone? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay, Gandhiji. He loved everyone. Who else? Yeah, Venita. Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, yeah. Anyone else? A self-realized person. Julie, if there is many. <laughs> Think of one. Swami Tupfen. They're not familiar with him. So I think. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. So you read about his life. You watch one of the movies, Hollywood movies. We read the Bible that depicts his life. His love was for everyone, every human being. He meets a leper. Does everyone know what a leper is? It's a person who has a disease, leprosy. They used to leave them in one area outside the city. Because, when the, because the disease was so highly contagious. Jesus meets such a person, he hugs them, shows them the same love as anyone else. Meets prostitutes, thieves, murderers, treats them all the same. Why? Love and compassion. Why? Show pure love to everyone. Why is that? Mm, he sees the self in them as the self in himself exactly sees the self in it's a reflection of himself he didn't in basic terms he didn't identify with who they were externally he didn't identify with their body mind intellect but who they were within this is the atman the spirit the self he sees his own image in all beings. Even when the Romans, they crucified him to a cross. What would we be saying? Yeah, he forgave the people who did it. He said, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. It means they're ignorant. They don't understand. They don't have that understanding. It's not their fault. 
This is how a self-realized person acts, Jesus Christ. Now, everyone is different, as we said. Any clarifications? Yeah, Tomish. So we talk about Krishna as being self-realized. Mm. But then he, he was taking part in war as well. Mm. How, how is that love for everyone? Mm -hmm. Anyone would like to... Um, good question, Tomish. Saying Lord Krishna is self-realized soul, we, we, we say he's a self-realized soul. How come he was taking part in the war? Mister? Was it because that was his duty and he wasn't self-realized at that point? Um, we believe he's a self-realized soul even at that point. Okay. Yeah, In the Bhagavad Gita, it, it shows him as a self-realized person. Because the war was for righteousness to prevail evil, so he was obviously, that's what his job was. That's right. He, he was there to bring the balance back in the world of good and evil, because the evil had taken over the world. Now, look, we don't know if it's a story or what, but he was there to bring righteousness back in. Whenever the world tips, they say a person is sent there, a self-realized soul, a high, uh, uh, um, a high um, person with um, great knowledge and understanding to bring the balance back. So Lord Krishna was there to do a job, to bring balance back in the world. Otherwise, evil would have taken over. And did he kill anyone? Did he kill anyone though? Yes. See, you're all thinking from the limited perspective. No one dies. Everyone comes back. Yeah. <laughs> so did he kill anyone? He didn't kill anyone. He did what was necessary to be done. Knowing that no one dies. And he tells that in the Bhagavad Gita. Arjuna. Arjuna, no one dies. What are you worried about? But we wouldn't understand that because from that perspective, we can't see, think. Any other clarifications? Okay. Anita? The verse further state, states that the perfect yogi dwelling in the supreme self, me, never loses his supreme status. Whatever he be Whatever be his mode of life, spiritual or material, he sees the self, breathes the self, lives the self, expresses the self at all times. He, his physical, emotional, intellectual activities will always pronounce the divinity in which he dwells and revels. Thank you. So once again, it's confirming, once you reach the state of self-realization, you never, never leave that status. It's permanent. You're permanently in the fourth state. And whatever his actions, the divinity, the self, expresses itself in all his actions, whether spiritual or material. All his actions are perfect. Even if Lord Krishna kills someone in the world, his action was perfect. From, or if you look from the wider perspective, his action was perfect.
Any clarifications? Okay, we'll do verse 32. Atmopam yena sarvatra samam pasyati yorjuna sukham vayadiva dukham sayogi paramo mataha Atmopam yena sarvatra samam pasyati yorjuna sukham vayadiva dukham sayogi paramo mataha he who, through the likeness of the self, O Arjuna, sees equality everywhere, through joy and sorrow, he is considered a supreme yogi. He who, through the likeness of the self, O Arjuna, sees equality everywhere, through joy and sorrow, he is considered a supreme yogi. Arunabin, uh, first para, please. The test of spiritual unfoldment concludes with this verse. Verse 29 speaks of the unifying vision of the perfected soul who sees the self in all beings and all beings as the self. It indicates his devotional feeling towards the world. Verse 30 intimates his resolute focus upon the self while functioning in the world as an actor in his many roles, never loses the awareness of his true identity, so too the enlightened one never loses the awareness of his supreme self in all his life's activities. Verse 31 refers to his actions. Whatever his mode of living, he oblates all his actions to the supreme being. Every action becomes a worship, a prayer, a dedication to God. Thus, he reveals his spiritual development in his physical, emotional, and intellectual expressions. His actions, his feelings, and his thoughts together declare his self-unfoldment. Thank you so much. So the last three verses explain the life of a person who has unfolded the self, reached the fourth state of consciousness, becomes self-realized. This, this verse concludes this topic. Thereafter, how this person acts in the world, it's irrelevant. He revels in that state, sees the world completely differently. He only sees the self all around him. That's it. Whatever actions he does, it's all dedicated to Brahman. No ego means no ego. I did that. No. The Lord did this. It only relates to the Lord. Paragraph two, Arunabin. This verse states that the Supreme Yogi, seeing the one unifying self everywhere, remains the same through the joys and sorrows of this world. The enlightened soul revels in the infinite bliss of this self. Therefore, 
The finite joys and sorrows provided by his body, mind and intellect have no effect upon him. Worldly joys and sorrows act as candles lit or extinguished in the blaze of the midday sun. Such insignificant light goes unnoticed in the presence of the sun. With this verse, the picture of the perfected soul is complete. The earlier three verses show how he maintains his unifying vision of the self at the three levels of his personality. This verse states how his vision of equality maintains his absolute equanimity through the fluctuations of the external world. Thank you. So another aspect of a self-relaxed person, no matter what the situation, whatever the circumstances, is unaffected. Lord Krishna is not affected by how many people dies in that war. He's unaffected. How does that compare to us? This is how we have to understand. Compare ourselves, then we learn the flaws in our personality or what we're affected by. We're affected by a lot of things. We're not saying it's wrong to be affected. Of course, we're not there, so we would be affected. When we have a good day, it's our birthday, we jump for joy. It's my birthday. How are we going to celebrate? We want to go here, I want to go there. You better get me a good present. Someone passes in our family, we feel upset, dejected, miserable. I'm not saying either one is right or wrong, by the way. We make profit, we are happy. We make a loss, we are miserable. But hopefully not all of us, we're learning not to be affected by the little things. You start from the little things and then you grow. You all have some knowledge. You have a better understanding of the world. This is what we're saying. Better understanding of life. And this is, that understanding is what helps us to be not affected. What kind of uh, knowledge and understanding of the world helps us? What is this world? What did we say this world is? It's an illusion. It's an illusion. See, Ravi, I love Ravi. Right to the top. It's an illusion. <laughs> That's the vision we all need to go come to. But those of us who are not there, what is this world? Where does it affect us? What's it made up of? What's this world made up of? Yeah, Vanita? It's made up of pairs of opposites. Pairs of opposites. Absolutely right. Dwandwa. It's called Dwandwa in Sanskrit. 
What are the pairs of opposites, Kanita? Um, happy, sad, hot, cold. Oh. Are you affected when thing, things are sad? You are? And when they're happy? Yeah, affected. Why can't I just have a balance? Because we have attachments to things um, and then our desires hold us in our likes and dislikes then affect that as well. The world is made of pairs of opposites. Why are we affected? This is the understanding we're missing, isn't it? We know he's a he, we know he's an evil person, but when we contact him, we get affected, knowing that he's an evil person. Why? <laughs> Very good. This is the world. Description of the we say what's the description of a car? It's got an engine, it's got four wheels, it's got a steering wheel and four seats. What's the description of the world? Dwandwas, good and bad, tall and short, hot and cold. Why? Because if we didn't have bad, how would we know what good is? If we didn't have poverty, how would we know what is rich? He is rich, he's poor. If we didn't have ill health, how would we know we are healthy? So we have to accept this is the nature of the world. And if you accept that, then you're less affected. Normal person wants to be happy, healthy, rich all the time. If they're not, then they're miserable. How is that possible? Is it possible, Deepavan? It's not possible. But they're miserable because they're not. It's ludicrous to think this. So in life, due to a lack of understanding of the nature of the world, we go through these fluctuations of being happy and miserable. Major difference between us and a self-realized person. Self-realized person is unaffected by these pairs of opposites. The body, mind, and intellect may go through joy and sorrow. Health or ill health, he's unaffected. Because he doesn't identify with what we identify. Oh, I got wrinkles under my eyes. Look, what can I do about it? He doesn't care how many wrinkles he has. Because he doesn't identify with his physical body or his mind or his intellect. He identifies with the self. The world can affect the body, mind, intellect, but he cannot affect the self. And that's why a self-realized person is unaffected. And that's why he's the same throughout all the fluctuations changing his life. So what? Swamiji, it's minus 10 outside. It's so cold. So what? Who said that? It's Swamiji. 
so hot, it's 45 degrees, so what? Is that so? So that's why a self-realized soul is unaffected because he has that understanding what the world is. We're slowly learning. The little things that were affecting us are less affecting us, correct? I hope everyone, nod your head. That's development. That means you're on the right path. See, it says here, worldly joys and sorrows act as candles lit or extinguished in the blaze of the midday sun. The sun is shining really bright. What is the light of a candle lit in front of the sun? Nothing. That's how he sees. That's how he identifies with joys and sorrows in the world. Insignificant. As we mentioned, this world is Brahman, but it is projected in the world in different forms as the pairs of opposites, as animals, plants, moon, sun, ocean, mountains, and us human beings. All is Brahman and only Brahman, just different names. The world is just Nama Rupa, name and form. We gave an example last week, diamond and charcoal, both are carbon, nama rupa. Same skin, same blood. One is Shahrukh Khan, one is me. Nama rupa. So why are you laughing? So a person who sees the unity in this diversity in this world is a perfect yogi, a perfect human being. That's it. This is what we need to strive towards. And this is a self-realized person, a perfect yogi. Any questions? As I said in the beginning of class, we need to approach this verse in the way of whatever comparison we can make, we make to get an understanding. That's the only way we can understand. Any clarifications? The self-realized person will still, like if the self-realized is that they're not affected, hmm. but they will still have to betray their, or fulfill their obligations. Yeah. As, as you know, the position that they're playing effectively. So trying to, we could, as we're going through the learning knowledge state, we can sort of understand we, we use it, the self-realized person that's given up everything like Jesus and that. Yeah. But in this day and age, a person that might be self-realized, it'd be more difficult to <laughs> realize they're self-realized because they're still fulfilling their obligations and yeah, it may be portrayed as attachment, but it's not. So the anyone know the difference? The difference <clears throat> between a normal person, self-realized person, as far as um, desires are concerned. Well, Krishna didn't give anything up, though. He had the thousands of wives. Yeah. <laughs> yeah? yeah. He participated in the war. Yeah. He fulfilled all his obligatory duties. Yeah, so, so, still... so really, you know, if we're learning about Lord Krishna in a sense, 
you know, he was a self-realized individual, but he never gave up his responsibilities and duties. His reason for taking birth was to bring righteousness back. Yeah, and he fulfilled that, didn't he? Whilst playing the role of husband, son, Romeo. father, Romeo. <laughs> so we have, and we're learning about from him, from his teachings. The Bhagavad Gita is his song, just written by somebody else, but it's his words. So if we want to follow his footpath, then yeah, we can't give anything up really. We have to fulfill our responsibilities. Absolutely. And the major difference between uh, us and a self-realized soul is that we still have vasanas that manifest into desires which propel our life. Yeah, And we want to fulfill those desires and we're affected by those desires. Self-realized soul person, has no longer any desires that he has created. It's just the residue of asanas which manifest. He has no desire, no new desires. He's only exhausting his previous desires, asanas that are left, whatever they are. Vanita. Can one self-realized person recognize another self-realized person or no? I wouldn't know. <laughs> that's a tough question for me because I wouldn't know I don't make up things unnecessarily <laughs> I don't know good question but I don't know one day maybe I will know <laughs> any other clarifications So that concludes uh, topic. Uh, that, con that concludes topic four: meditation reveals self in one and all. And now we go back, to get back to the reality of things. Arjuna, after listening to all that, like you guys, all of us, he says, "Hang on, Krishna, what are you talking about? I've got a question." So I'll read uh, the um, introduction. Can a restless mind be controlled? This is Arjuna. After Krishna has completed his masterly exposition of how to discipline and control the mind, Arjuna doubts if the mind can ever be brought under control. He wonders how the mind, a restless, turbulent, strong and obstinate entity, can be controlled. And even if forcefully brought under control, how can the mind continue to remain steady and calm? Krishna assures Arjuna that the intellect can control the mind through sustained practice and dispassion. Arjuna feels further confusion as to what happens to a seeker and all his efforts if he fails to attain self-realization in his lifetime. Will he not be denied both the material and spiritual worlds and left with neither? Krishna answers this question in the last topic of the chapter. So these are the dilemmas that we're all thinking about. Hey, if I follow this path and I don't reach that goal, I've wasted my life. I could have been having fun. 
This is what Arjuna is saying. Don't waste my time. I want proof. This is what he's saying. So we'll um, read uh, verse 33. Uh, it's a small verse. It's just, I'll read it myself to introduce this next topic. Arjuna uvacha yoyam yogas vaya proptaha samye namadusudana etas yaham napasyami chanchalat vatstipim stiram Arjuna uvacha yoyam yogas vaya proptaha Samye namadusudana etas yaham napasyami chanchalat vatstitim stiram. Arjuna said, This yoga of equanimity taught by you, O Madhusudana, I do not see its enduring stability owing to restlessness. This yoga of equanimity taught by you. He's saying this knowledge that you're teaching me, saying keep a balance throughout life, through thick and thin, through agitations, O Madhusudana, which is another name for Krishna. I do not see enduring stability owing to restlessness, meaning my mind is always restless. The commentary reads, the fifth topic contained in verses 33 to 39 deals with the question, whether the restless mind can ever be controlled. Arjuna asks a question for the first time in this chapter. He expresses a doubt regarding the stability of the human mind. He feels that the mind cannot remain steady because of its restless nature. He believes that the spiritual practices, yoga, cannot keep the mind continuously in an economist state, meaning in a balanced, unagitated state. In the preceding verses, Krishna shows how the mind resting upon the Supreme Self within gains perfect equanimity. Arjuna does not see such a possibility. Even if the mind finds peace at times, it doubts if it can maintain itself in that state for very long. Arjuna feels thus because the Sastras, scriptures, have been repeatedly endorsing the restless nature of the mind that the mind is as insatiable as fire. How can such a mind ever attain enduring stability? Arjuna addresses Krishna as Madhusudana. Krishna acquired that name as a slayer of the demon Madhu. See, now, it's a relevant question Arjuna is asking. How many verses, Lord Krishna, you've told me, how many times? Mind is like this, the mind is like that, the mind cannot be kept under control, it's like the wind, it's like this. And, that, and how do I know that I can control it? And now you're telling me to control it. How is that possible? I don't believe it. This is what Arjuna is saying. And this is what all of us should be saying. I don't believe this. So we'll have to wait what the Lord, how the Lord answers his question for next week. Any questions, any clarifications? Any general questions, you may ask it now.
Yeah, she never lets me down. <laughs> it's not a question, it's an observation, really, because um, this verse really resonates with me, mm. and it has for a very long time, where I was almost justifying my inability to be affected because I thought, well, yeah, you know, Arjuna knows exactly what I mean by not being able to, and it is turbulent and it is, you know, headstrong. And there's so many um, examples of how badly your mind can affect you. So actually, um, I'm not to blame. You know, that's how the mind is full stop. The mind is, no, so I, that was, this was where I was stuck for a really long time, because I thought, well, that's the mind, what's the point of trying to, but it's only through years and years, and I mean years, of actually understanding that, yeah, the mind is like that, but I can control it. I can accept that the mind is like that and roll over and let it do its damage or I have a choice here and know that actually I do have capacity, even though it might be 1%, that one time that I might win over my mind is still an achievement rather than actually accepting it. Absolutely. And that's through years of actually reading and, and, and covering this knowledge. And mm. so the first step is just acceptance that actually you can do something about it. And that's the observation that I've had through this time because I was really stuck where Arjuna is asking this question, how can it ever be managed? Yeah, very good question. It's a serious point. Because all our minds are affected by I mean, look, let's face it. Any issues we have in life is because of our turbulent mind. The mind makes wrong choices, wrong decisions. You know, all these things is related to the mind. And it's because we don't have a developed intellect to control the mind. This is the problem. As we said, the mind is a child, monkey mind in us. The intellect is the adult, the buddhi but we're letting the child run our life, make our decisions. This is the mind. And we're allowing it. And this is the biggest problem. But it also goes back to like where Arjuna is. Obviously he's developed, he's an adult grown. But had this nurturing of the intellect been at an earlier stage in life, <coughs> even for us as kids, then we would be in better control of our minds. Yeah. Yeah. So even here in you know, the Bhagavad Gita, you're showing you're talking to adults yeah. that have been conditioned That's in right. a certain method. So you're having to overcome all those battles, let alone the mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's not easy. First of all, we don't know that our mind is the problem. Secondly, we don't know how, what to do about it because of our ignorance. But we're fortunate the Lord is actually going to explain to us how to do it. But the effort has to be put in by us. We don't know how to how to put the effort in. We don't know what to do. And that's what we're learning. So as we learn it, 
we're able to apply it. Look, even if you apply 1%, that's a big change in our lives, you know? Good. Very well, everyone. Thank you for joining us. We'll continue next week.